I remember when I was a kid uh, how excited it was to go out and get the mail. You know that I still enjoy that very much. But I remember as a kid going out and get the mail how excited I was the day that we received that gift of $250,000 and how happy I was that I kind of skipped back into the house thinking about all the things that my parents could get me with $250,000. And I knew it had to be true because Ed McMahon said that it was true, right? Yet, through the years, I've received countless numbers of those same types of uh, uh, mail letters that indicate that I'm a winner of something, and unfortunately, every single one of them has proven to be false. And, and really, actually, what they typically want is for me to sit, spend my money before they give me theirs, but it's the old bait and switch because I never get their money, no matter how much I spend of mine. And it's really robbery is what it is, but it works. And it works because we see it happening over and over again. There are people out there who make lots of money through all kinds of false promises and creative scams. And the more desperate people are, the more likely they are to buy into those false promises. Some of you may have received emails. Now that's the mode of, of scam that we see in our world today. Uh, you might have seen, uh, received in recent years uh, uh, an email from a Nigerian man who happened to be a millionaire who was trying to defect to the United States and needed your assistance. And as a reward for your help, he would give you a, a percentage of his vast estate. How many of y'all actually received an email like that? There's a lot of people. And in fact, in the U.S. alone, in one year, there, were, were, there was reported a loss of over $100 million because of that scam. There's another one. I actually received this one a few uh, days ago, maybe within the last couple of weeks, about a relative who was traveling abroad. I received a letter from that relative that said, you know, through a series of misunderstandings, they got put in jail and needed my financial assistance to help them get out. Now, I'll be honest and tell you that wasn't real tempting to me. If they had, on the other hand, said that I could pay to keep them in, then I might have fallen for that. But that's not what, uh, what they said. But when we receive things like that and we don't immediately know if this is true or not, what do we usually do to go find out? We go to a website like Snopes, right? And we look and see if there is any truth to what we're receiving. There's a, that's a reference page of all kinds of scams and urban legends. And oftentimes you'll get an email and you can go there and they'll tell you, nope, not true. It's a false promise. It's great, it's actually helpful in some cases, but let me ask you this. Here's what's much more important. What do you do when you're trying to identify spiritual deception? Where do you go when you're trying to discern whether something is a false promise or it's actually true? Because let's face it, like the scams that exist in our world today, our enemy is seeking to deceive us. And very often, the more desperate we become, the more willing we are to buy in to His lies. There's no shortage of people in our world today who claim to have the answer to the problems that we face. So how do you know if what they're saying is true? Because they all claim to have the right answer. The question for you and I is, how do we know which one to choose? Which one is true? Which one is deception? Well, our passage this morning helps us answer that question. 
And so before we look at that together, let's ask the Lord to direct us into truth. Father, we want to know what is true, what is good, what is right, what is from above, what is not from this earth. And we know that there's a very real danger of the spirit of deception that exists in our world today and how easy it is to get trapped into those false promises and lies. So open our eyes and our heart this morning to see what is true, what is right, what is good, ultimately what is from you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, turn to 1 John chapter 4. Let's pick up where we left. I'm going to read the full passage and then we'll walk through it together. So if you will, follow along with me beginning in verse 1. John writing says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test to see whether they are from God. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. Who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error or deceit. In verse 1, in the beginning of our passage, John uh, talks to his reader and having just told them that one of the assurances of their faith if you look at the end of chapter 3 it says that one of the assurances of our faith is the spirit whom he has given us and then john turns right around in verse 1 of our passage and says but don't believe every spirit you must test the spirits to see if they are from god you see john is confronting the very real reality that the false teachers likely claimed that everything that they said was led by the Spirit. And actually, that's a true statement. Everyone who believes something ultimately comes to that conviction by the Spirit. The only question is, which Spirit is it? The Spirit of truth or the Spirit of deceit? Those are the only two options. John is making the very important point that no one lives outside of the influence of these two spirits. I want you to hear that. No one lives outside of the influence of these two spirits. Now, we may think that we are going about our life independently making choices about our life and about our faith and about the things we believe in. But the fact of the matter is, they are not independent of the influence of one of these two spirits. It's either the spirit of truth, which comes from God, or the spirit of deceit, which comes from Satan. Those are the only two choices. That's why John is telling us to test the spirits to see if they are truly from God. And not just another false promise from Satan. 
we need to test them because Satan is very good at disguising his lies to look like truth, right? We know that is true. We, we know from, from Scripture uh, in several examples. Let me just give you a few. Jesus himself says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. <laughs> Signs and wonders can look very similar. You might even think about Moses when he first confronted the Egyptian Pharaoh. And you remember he did these awesome signs. What happened? The high priest turned around and did the exact same thing. So signs and wonders can look very similar. You can't depend on something that simply looks good to be true. The other thing is we can't depend on something that simply sounds good to be true. Paul gives Timothy that warning. In chapter 4, verse 3, when he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from truth, and will turn aside to myths. We simply cannot depend on something because it sounds so good that it must be true that it looks good, or that it feels so good, that it must be true. See, that plays directly into our weaknesses. There is a purpose behind that. We have already looked at that passage that, that John's already said, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the sinful pride of life, that which looks good, that which sounds good, that which feels good. Our instincts to determine what is false and what is true are insufficient. We must have something outside of ourselves as the judgment of determining what is true and what is false. As we think about what John has already communicated to us in this letter so far, he has actually begun to outline some of these things. If you want, turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. John is helping them understand things that are true. In verse 7 he says, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. John is saying essentially that, that there is no such thing as a new truth if it does not line up with what you've already heard from the beginning. Any new truth is the same old lie if it is not found in the testimony of Scripture. We talked about that example of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 who received the word of Paul. And what did they do? They immediately went to God's word and they understood that even though it was new information to them, it lined up with what the prophecy of Scripture said would be true. And they accepted in faith and believed in Jesus Christ as the promise of the Savior recorded in Scripture. This weekend, my dad and I did some building at his house. And uh, my dad is a perfectionist. I think I've inherited that trait from him. But one of the things is, I knew when we put up, he had a roof that was installed, and we put a kind of an apron around it. And I was certain that that apron was going to be absolutely sound and true. And what happened was, he had previously had a fence installed just a few days before that. And when we put up his apron that was completely true it revealed to us how crooked the fence was 
We would have seen it without the fact that that true example was there to show what was crooked. And that's the same way God's Word works. That is the fact of the matter that shows us what is true, what is right, and what is good. And we need to take whatever we hear and line it up to that truth to see whether or not it's crooked or whether it lines up with what God says is true. See, God's Word is perhaps the most important test as we look at what we hear. That's the reason God's Word, or God has revealed this Scripture, is because it's the only way that we know what is true. We can't find it ourselves. He has to reveal it to us, and God's Word is that place where we see His truth revealed. But there are other tests for truth as well. John has talked about those. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He says here, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. John is trying to help them understand that one of the ways that you tell his truth is, is don't believe those who are not committed to the body. You will not be speaking God's truth if you are not faithful to loving God's people. This is a love that extends beyond those who follow you simply because you're impressed with them. False teachers, in our example of 1 John, left because they were being questioned. And so they defected from the body to take themselves out of that environment to preserve their power and influence. So a test of what is true is looking at the commitment that a person has towards unity. Does what they say line up with Scripture? Does what they say protect the unity of the body? The next thing is in chapter 2, verse 6. Look at that. It says, The one that says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Don't believe anyone who is not willing to practice what they preach. Don't listen to somebody who talks about humility and then stands above you in pride. Don't listen to anybody that talks about contentment and then lives in enormous excess. Because those two things don't line up. We need to know that it's important to believe what you say and live what you say you believe. So that your life lines up with what you're teaching. A righteous life is an important test of truth the world is filled with those who claim to speak God's truth and we need to understand that every message we hear is influenced by one of two spirits the spirit of truth or the spirit of deceit and we need to test the spirits to see that which is from God look at how they live look at how they love And always make sure their teaching lines up with the truth of God's Word. John goes on to reveal the single most important quality found in a teaching that is true. Turn, if you will, to 1 John 4, verse 2. It says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, 
of which you have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. You see, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the most critical component of every profession of faith. If you want to know if somebody is teaching the truth of God, then look no further than what they say about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in his letter to the, first, to the Corinthians, his first letter, chapter 12. says this, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. His point is the same as John. No one makes a decision of faith outside of the influence of the Spirit. The only question is, which Spirit are you willing to believe? The Spirit of God is what reveals that Jesus is Lord, that He is God incarnate, that our hope of salvation rests on Him. The spirit of deceit will reveal Him to be something less than that. This is such a core issue. And yet so many times people get sidetracked by side issues. Just this last week I heard somebody who was talking about their decision of, of whether to trust in Christ or to become a Christian and they'd been in conversation with this person for a long time and they said, you know, I, I just can't get past the evolution of science. Others can't get past the fact that there's so many denominations. Others can't get past that there's so many differences in the finer points of theology. But I want you to know this morning that none of those matter until you answer the question of who Jesus Christ is and what did He come to do. John says that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the Spirit it's come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John actually said something very similar in chapter 2, verse 23, when he says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. His point is, is that everything rises and falls on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember, John said that he is writing in a time when there are many false prophets who have already gone out into the world and they have a false message about who Christ is. We know historically of some of those. There was a man by the name of Serentius. This was a man who was a contemporary of John, meaning he lived at the same time as John did, and they were opponents with one another. The reason being, Serentius taught that, that Jesus was a man that was indwelled by God's Spirit at baptism, and then that Spirit left him at the cross. So he was fully man, just like you and I, but not fully God, because it came and it went. We also know that others suggested that Jesus was not fully man, that he only appeared to be a man, that he was like a vision, so that he looked like he was a real person, but in fact he wasn't. It was just like a mirage. This is what was known as Gnosticism, and it wreaked havoc on the early church, because it claimed... That, that God sent somebody who had divine attributes, but he was not a real man. Still others suggested that Jesus came in the flesh with divine qualities, but he was an offspring of God or some kind of agent of God. 
but that He was not the one true God who came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Our Emmanuel. In the midst of all these heresies, John speaks, and I want you to understand that those same heresies exist in our world today. And he's saying that the only one that acknowledge Jesus as Christ come in the flesh, only those are from God. We must see Jesus as our Emmanuel. God with us. So that when we see Jesus, we believe in our hearts that we see God. The fullness of God's glory. The exact representation of His nature. As the apostles testified, and I'll give you a couple examples. 2 Timothy, excuse me, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, Paul says this to Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And now look at verse 13 to hear what the apostles believe about who Christ is. Looking for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Another apostle, again testifying to his belief in who Christ is, says, Simon Peter, a bondservant of the apostle and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are received by faith, the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the apostles testified that Jesus was God incarnate, our Emmanuel. But not only that, the prophets spoke of this being true. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 9, just listen, verse 6, a very familiar verse, but listen to what it says about the one who is to come. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Listen, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The apostles testified. The prophets prophesied. And everything that we see throughout the Old Testament in that sacrificial system, it typified who Christ would be. The sacrificial lamb, unblemished, sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But it goes even further. The miracles of Jesus also validated His claims that He was God incarnate by His power over nature, His power over disease, even His power over death. The apostles testified. The prophets prophesied. The sacrificial system typified. Jesus Himself proclaimed, I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. All of Scripture, including the testimony of Jesus Christ, reveals that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh. Every spirit who proclaims this truth is from God, and all those who deny this truth are from Satan. It's the only two options. Spirit of truth, Spirit of deceit. 
then John shifts his focus from the spirits themselves to the people they motivate and influence and, and control. Look at verse 4 of our passage. It says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. John turns to his readers and he says, You are from God. You are from God. He says that because they are the ones who have remained. They have not accepted the false testimony of the false teachers about who Christ is. He says, you have overcome them. He actually uses that word overcome six times in this short letter, which is more than any other book of the New Testament except for the book of Revelation. And notice when he says that you have overcome, that you is intended to speak to all of them. It's a plural pronoun. What John wants them to understand is that you have victory, you have overcome because of who you are together by standing with one another in what you believe to be true about Christ. This is not an individual battle, it's a a corporate battle. As we affirm the truth of who Christ is to one another. But notice that the strength that we have is not something that we possess on our own. John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He wants us to understand that the battleful truth is not a battle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual warfare against the spirits of wickedness and deceit. What's at stake is the eternal destiny of the hearts and souls of mankind. It's a battle that is won or lost based on on the object of your faith. Which spirit are you going to believe to be true? We'll look at this verse later on, but turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, because he makes it very clear in this passage. Here's one of those examples of where he uses that same word, overcome. And he says in verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Our victory is our faith. We overcome the influence of Satan's deception when we believe that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh in order to conquer sin's power and its penalty of death. We believe that Jesus has risen from the grave, that He has ascended into heaven, and that He alone has the power and authority to extend the true promise of eternal life. His victory is our reward for faith, believing in the Spirit of truth. Jesus fought the battle. Jesus won the victory. We overcome because we believe that Jesus overcame and accomplished for us what we could not do apart from Him. Our decision of faith, as we talked about this morning, is a decision of worship. It's that understanding of who I am apart from Him and the ultimate depravity in in, in sin that has no chance 
unless he does for me what I cannot do for myself. But John goes on to remind us in those closing verses that the world will always have a strong and powerful voice, even in the midst of our decision of faith. Satan will try to distract us with the deception that feeds our selfish desires, things that look good, things that sound good, things that feel good. And this deception is often the popular choice. It's the trends in our world. And so you have to continually stop and evaluate and make sure you're choosing to believe what is true and not what is false. With that in mind, let me give you some things that I want you to consider this week as you process what we've walked through together this morning. And they're really in a series of questions, and I encourage you to write these questions down and ask them to yourself as you consider our passage. First question is this. What voice am I listening to most? What voice am I listening to most? And as you answer that question, I want you to think about the music you listen to. I want you to think about the books you read. I want, to think about, I want you to think about the movies you go see, the TV shows you watch, even the opinions of people that you accept as true. Because here's what you need to understand. Every single one of those things has an influence of a spirit behind them. And you have to decide if that influence is the spirit of truth that comes from God or the spirit of deceit that comes from Satan? Which voice are you listening to? Have you set your mind on things above, or are you consumed by things of the earth? It's important to consider that question, and and if you can't think of the answer, just look at your life, because it will tell you the answer. How you live is determined by what you believe. Do you strive for success in order to gain security? Or are you willing to give up your life, really forsaking all worldly security for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that it's your goal to strive for a trouble-free life? Or do you accept the fact that you're going to be persecuted because this is not your home? Which voice are you listening to? Look at your life and you'll find your answer. Here's another question I want you to consider. What are the relationships where I invest myself and my time? Our passage taught us that we overcome the lies when we stand together in the truth. Are you standing with those who walk in the truth? It's a simple question. The Bible makes it clear that bad company corrupts Good morals. What that tells me is that you can know and be convinced of what is right and spend time with those who don't share that same conviction. And over time, they will convince you to follow something that you know is not right. So, who are you spending time with? And are they walking in truth? Now, does that mean that you shouldn't spend time with those who are not believers? Absolutely not. But what it does mean is... is who do you invest your life into? That you share your, your joys and your excitements and, and your heart and you fellowship with at a deep and meaningful level. 
The scripture says don't be yoked with unbelievers. And one of the things that means is that you don't give the deepest part of yourselves to those who don't share your convictions of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One more question, and this was the toughest one for me. I saved it for last because I had to ask myself these same questions. Here's the question. Whose strength are you relying on? Whose strength are you relying on? Pastor says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We overcome through our faith and not through our efforts. Does your life demonstrate a dependence upon Christ? Or do you really get out there and do your best and then just what you can't get done, you just say, okay, God, you take it from here. I've done my part. What part? Apart from Him, you can do nothing. What part are you talking about? What part am I talking about? Is your life marked by a habit of prayer? Do you truly seek the counsel of God's Word to guide your life? Is your heart inclined to worship? Or is Christianity more about what you get from God than about what God gets from you? Test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. Look at your life. Examine your heart and determine what you're being influenced most by. The spirit of truth or the spirit of deceit is the only two options. We are not making decisions independently of these two spirits. We are responding to one or the other. What you believe in tells you which one you're following. So examine your heart and see which one is true. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for your word because without it we wouldn't know what's true. We wouldn't even have a starting place. But you have given your word to reveal what is good and right and true. And so I pray that as we ask ourselves these questions, that one of the things that we do is take our answers and then put them against God's word to see if they line up or if they're crooked. Help us to be honest with ourselves so that we don't lie to ourselves in the process of seeking these answers. And ultimately, Father, I pray that we come in humility, not because we want to see what we can get out of you, but with a heart that says, Lord, I want you to get all of me, not just part of me. I want to be fully devoted to following you because I believe, I worship, I trust in who you are and what you accomplished on the cross because you are God incarnate. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, our Emmanuel. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, through the power of the Spirit, to the praise and glory of God the Father, we pray these things. Amen. Have a great day.